Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, Jenny. You know me. You know I love to gamble. And normally, I mean, you know this, right? I do. I mean, we normally, yeah, so the biggest gamble I'll take frequently, I'll take gambles like I will, um, I'll order truck stop sushi. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big gamble. That's a, yeah, it's like airport sushi, you know, same. Or I'll, um, I'll online date with somebody who's been really heavily filtered. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So those are my online gambles. But for sports betting, I mean, whether it's the NFL or the NBA or uh, um, Major League Baseball, you know, for me, the place I go to is betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Oh, you're telling me being a Houston Astro fan, I know that's not popular right now because of the cheating, but whatevs, yeah. baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action happening on betonline.ag. Yeah, and I'm a novice, so like, it's also a great place to get the news, odds on for all of your sporting needs. I don't think they do um, ice dancing yet, but I think it's coming. Uh, and uh, but for the major sports, your Major League Baseball, your NBA, your NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action, which I know you're a huge fan of violence. My God, all of it. Uh, but I'm here to tell you, but you'll get real time updated odds, props on almost anything you can imagine with BetOnline.ag. Yeah, BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets. And here's the thing: you think that would cost something like a fortune to sign up, but you'd be wrong. It's free to sign up. It is totally 100% free. Yes. And I'm here to tell you, before you even see another pitcher walk on the mound, yes. head to betonline.ag on your laptop, mobile device, iPad, Kindle, I don't know, whatever you know yeah. works for you. Flip and guess what? Take advantage. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Holy balls. Bet online. They're your online sports expert. You don't have to sit on the sidelines anymore. You get in the action and use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That is CLNS50. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. 1000%. Everyone go immediately right now. Let's make some money. We've been we've all been sitting around just losing money during this pandemic. It's time yeah. to it's it's time for it to come back in our pockets. And that's what betonline.ag is here to do. And there's no surer way to make money than to bet on sports. I always that is, that's what that's how I was raised. I know that's how you were raised and Completely. I think that's the most important thing in the world is sports and gambling. <laughs> and Just do it doing it, do it. <laughs> get on this doing it nation betonline.ag and use the promo code clns50 d-o-i in apostrophe i-t-w-i-t h-t-a-n-n-y and j-e-n-n-y doing it with danny jenny doing it with danny jenny 
Viva la revolucion. Viva la. Thank you. Eli, Eli Braden. Thank you. Thank you. Doing for... it nation, we're back. Do it, boy, doing it nation. <laughs> you suffered through just a Jenny and myself episode. And by mm -hmm. the way, I felt we brought our A game last week. Um, really did too. We, we, like, and we brought our sons. I brought my dog, Dewey, and you brought Michael. I brought your my actual human son. son. I have my actual human son here. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, you know, we teased that maybe we'd have, like, you know, a guest that yes. coming up that we were excited about. And, yes. and, and, and you know, people, people guessed. The, the, by the way, your guesses were, thank you for sending them in. And whoever said, oh, Michelle Obama, you're right. So I'd like to yeah. welcome Michelle yeah. Obama. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, no, that's next week. Jenny, because I, I, I can't believe she's doing our show. I'm I so can't believe she's doing our show. And I'm actually just waiting at some point for her to just leave the meeting and realize that this is so beneath her to be here. <laughs> she doesn't know because she was not like in society for a couple of years. She doesn't know how little we are. <laughs> oh, that's the problem. But y'all, Amanda Knox is here. This is Amanda Knox, everybody. Come on. Ah, Amanda Knox. You're kidding me. <laughs> applause, 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 applause. I wasn't sure if I should say anything, but that theme song is kick ass <laughs> you. you hear that eli that's eli is so big eli that, Brady, big. <laughs> that will make him so happy eli if you ever listen to howard stern eli is responsible for all the songs about robin's titties that they play yeah that's eli. all right <laughs> he's um, well he's a classically trained musician yeah. very classy yeah we keep touching it upon real current material yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're thrilled to have you on and to a slightly less extent thrilled that you're free. Priorities. Things are there. And I guess the first question, just getting up, because it's the one everybody's thinking about. How's the food? I mean, it's delicious over there, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you, you know, can't that get a bad is meal. the greatest tragedy of this whole story is <laughs> how you. long no. I spent in Italy and how horribly i ate <laughs> I know. You, were, you actually if in in any of the books you can't find a bad meal yeah um you know just uh just get railroaded and then you will find a bad meal um yes i just you know there was I, one day i was in italy like on the amalfi coast i was trying to find bad food just to see if it was possible couldn't yeah, find it's it not. But Amanda, it's not it was all served to you <laughs> You know, I brought my son last week. It didn't work out. Like we, like we had a scheduling thing with, with 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 you, but I had my son here, and I was thinking, like, he's twenty, and that's when all this went down for you. Yep. And 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 I, I like, I I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I'm feeling. I was so taken because I I was following that case from the very beginning, and I will say, and it's not just because you're here and all this, <laughs> but it made no sense. And in the recent documentary that you were in. You say it so brilliantly. Does it make sense that yeah. I have no would do like a absolute like crazy sex game mm -hmm. and, and to, to, to murder somebody, or that you got the wrong person? That like that that the person who actually has a criminal record. I mean, it was just I can't. It, it, you know that you talk about being Kafka esque and these existential crises, but to have lived that at twenty, I can't. Yeah. I, I don't know. And from, I, I felt on all levels, I felt from you, I felt, and I kept thinking about your parents. Jesus Christ, what a. 
Yeah, like you thinking, oh, I'm just gonna head off for a little foreign exchange program. I'll oh see yeah, you, soon, you know, like yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Like right. I could get sick. I'd have to go to the hospital and then deal with health insurance in Italy, and who knows how to do that? So yeah. like that's what we were thinking would be like worst case scenario kind yeah, of thing. Like, don't use your, don't lose your stolen. passport. I was gonna yeah, say, yeah, exactly. Hold on to that tight. Yep. That's that's gonna be the big situation. How oh. long were you? in Italy before this happened? Like it wasn't very it long. Was, it was not very long. I was there for, I believe like five weeks was, I had like moved in and was there for five weeks, just over a month before uh, this person broke into our house and committed the murder. And then date within days I was arrested. Yeah. So. And you were in custody for how long then total? I was in custody for four years. And I was on trial for a total of eight years. So really like, you know, you, you mentioned your son was, is 20 now. Like I have three younger sisters. And when my youngest sister turned 20, I was finally free. Right. And yeah. I had this moment of like, wow, if you were me, you would be going to jail right now. And she was such, she, like, she's a baby. Like it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a young person. And I really grew up in this experience because I spent my entire 20s dealing with this terrible, yeah. terrible, traumatic thing. So I judge, I mean, what was so telling for me about this, and partly it's like why I'm very grateful I had no social media, because this expands to other things. But you being on trial for your reactions as a 20-year-old, mm -hmm. like, it's like, it's, it's as though there's like this willful thing that happens in outrage culture where we forget, we can't, like, I think about the things I did when I was yeah. in my 20s and, um, and certainly Jenny, and we were far, like yours were aired out, but ours are far more wild and crazy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I mean, for I, I can only speak for myself, like, it, damning because most college kids are but to have yours and to have all of the hand wringing and all of these sanctimonious men mm -hmm. yeah yeah it just, I, it's interesting because like well one my husband and i have a running joke that like of the two of us i was the one who went to prison <laughs> like come on um but That's also so like i i mean I, on the one hand like i can get it because like in those first few days before I was arrested, when yeah. we were all just like suddenly this horrible thing had happened and it seemed like it came out of nowhere. And we yeah. were like, oh, my God, is there a serial killer on the loose? Like we had no idea what was going on. Yeah. The way that the police were talking to all of us and they do this in case after case after case is like anything you can imagine like try to remember every single interaction that you've ever had with your friend Meredith and other people that were around. Was there anyone who just seemed a little off? And they sort of coax you into yeah. trying to reimagine what seemed like normal interactions with people in a sinister way. Yeah. And so you're sort of primed to suddenly rethink the way that you've you've already 
encountered other people and sure. then in people's minds retroactively that yes, what they were doing was sinister when before they wouldn't have thought so. Like a great example of this is one of my roommates besides Meredith, her name was Philomena. Me and Lauren Philomena, my other two roommates were talking about getting an apartment together, like leading up to the day of my arrest. And it was only after my arrest that they started saying, oh yeah, you know, maybe Amanda was acting a little weird. Like everyone's sort of reimagined my, my, my interactions in a sinister light after I was arrested. And I think that like the main reason why I was arrested was not because the police thought I had anything to do with it at all. I think that they thought I knew something and that I wasn't sharing that with them. And so they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me until I broke in the interrogation room and then they were like oh well I guess we're arresting her now and now she's involved and now we have to like you know paint her as this person who would be involved Uh, the per the the man that was the lead prosecutor of Mm -hmm. the whole thing to me like if that if that man was replaced by somebody else do you think any of this would have happened to you because that one guy had it, it just felt like he had it out for you. Like he just, it, it seemed like he didn't like women. He didn't like Americans. And he, in the documentary, he talked about your, like, okay, you, you kissed your boyfriend as he was consoling yeah. you. Yeah. And, and that guy was just like, he determined. It's, it was almost like clickbait. Like a person reads a headline and they, yeah. they figure everything out about you when it's not true. Did you feel, was there one person or is that just how he came across in the documentary? I mean, he was not the only prosecutor in the case. He was the lead prosecutor. Um, he was the only you know, prosecutor who was there during my interrogation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he definitely was the one who was championing this case, right? Yeah. The case against me. Um, and he's a complicated person because I, it's... <sighs> It's so hard. I know that he is a father of four daughters. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you can't hate women if you have four daughters. <laughs> that was um, the most disturbing thing when he said that too. He was like, and I have four daughters. I'm like, that's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I almost want to say that I I know a lot of people have put a lot of pressure on him and and or at least fault on him. And I agree. I I definitely agree that of all the people in the world who could have put an end to this, that he could have done that. Yeah. At the same time, he's not the only one guilty of making the same mistakes that everyone did around this case. Like even as recently as Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole chapter in his book about me, I actually did a whole podcast episode about this where Malcolm Gladwell wrote about how I was misperceived and his sort of his, his idea was, well, Amanda is an innocent person who acts like a guilty person. And that's why all this happened. And it was like, well, it's more complicated than that, buddy. Like, <laughs> I was, <actually, laughs> was going to bring that up. You wow. Because I, I remember, I, I had a couple issues with a, a couple things in that, in that series. And I like Malcolm Gladwell. But I, did you ever get to confront him on that or talk to him about it? So... What happened was um, Malcolm Gladwell reached out to me to say, hey, we've um, written a whole chapter about your case in um, in our book, and we would love to use excerpts from your audiobook in our audiobook. Can we do that? 
And I said, well, um, can I read it? <laughs> and I mean, they said, sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and uh, they said, sure. So he shared it with me and I wrote him back saying, well, you know, I really appreciate certain things that you did, like mentioning the fact, like starting out talking about the case as like, here's the real person who did it. His name yeah. is Rudy Gaudet. Uh, that's often overlooked. Um, yeah. I actually talk about, and that's another episode of my podcast, um, Labyrinths, where I talk about the actual killer getting out recently. I, 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 oh, I, we're jumping back into that. I, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm going to subscribe to that podcast like right now. Yeah. <laughs> Labyrinth, yeah. But I, and, but I said to him, look, I appreciate that you've like talked about the facts of the case and, and who did it and who didn't do it. But I do disagree a little bit with your take because I think that how people perceive others is really colored by the context with which they're, or in which they're judging them. And is, is there, is the prosecutor motivated to judge me in a certain way, given the fact that he's already staked a claim, like his reputation is now staked in me being guilty, right? Yeah. Like it, it's not so much just like, I act like a guilty person in quotes, mm -hmm. and therefore that's how wrongful convictions happen. That's not how wrongful convictions happen. That's, yeah. that's way oversimplified. And he was like, well, um, you know, you'll get it like it'll make sense in the context of the entire book. And he sort of didn't engage with me on it. So I got I got the feeling that like Malcolm Gladwell is like any other person who has encountered this case, which there is this sort of sense of like armchair detectiveness, like um, you sit back and you sort of look at what um, the world has given you and think, OK, how do I write a theory around this information that has Exactly. given to me. And the information that has been fed throughout the entire world is a man is a weirdo. So therefore yeah. <laughs> that's no, what happened. Because most people that are weirdos what, murder their roommate after five, but like that it, doesn't exist. It was so clearly like, even if like, you know, we've seen this with like, you know, I, I have a daughter on the spectrum, but it's like, it, we've seen this with like actual Asperger people or people whose affect is weird and then they're immediately guilty of something. Sure. And mm -hmm. there's gun control. It's always a mental health issue. And right. whatever you're doing. so, but, but, but we have that. But for me with you, it was like, at no point were you acting anything other than, by the way, a fairly mature 20 year old who had yeah. a lot to fucking deal with during that period of time. Anytime. Yeah. So I, you know, I always think it's like, it's these guys who just, this inability to not to to not say it's anti-science, but to say like, oh, I was wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That it like being wrong is like in some way like devastating to you. It's like yeah. it means I'm less than as opposed to, oh, I went down the wrong alley. And we just Yeah. yeah. I mean, and being wrong actually in this day and age is like no one can admit that they're wrong. Like I have yeah. never have a problem saying, man, I yeah, you're right. I was wrong, man. I totally thought that. If more people could just do that, we would have a lot less issues with politicians, with people that they're like, I will ride this story down into the ground. Like I think this about comedy. I mean, just to, just to shift it, but like if you're like good at comedy, you have to acknowledge when your shit doesn't work. Right. Otherwise, you're gonna do it again, and like you are, like you would go up on stage or put on TV a bomb, and it's like, 
oh, okay, well, I can either do that again or admit yeah. Yeah, I, I screwed up and let's yeah. learn from it. And yeah. it's not taught in other disciplines as much, I don't think. Yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And I think that, Amanda, you know, like that's what, you know, like the, the public of, you know, the court of opinion of public, you know, like that you were convicted before you were convicted, you know? And, yeah. and, and being like, I remember like being a news producer, like during that time, when you spoke, there was a, there was a particular time and er, all the headlines were the fact that you spoke perfect Italian. <laughs> and that was headlines everywhere per, in perfect Italian. It's like, what, that's the, that's what your takeaway is from everything that she just said was that you actually spoke Italian. Yes. Yeah. Well, they were I've been very, there for a while. <laughs> right. I'm like, it'd be weird if she blurted shit out in German. I would think. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, at least they didn't make a big deal about how you looked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. They that would have just been the icing on the cake. <laughs> they love that narrative so much. I mean, I will tell you, and like for me, even more than the prosecutor. And if you haven't seen it, it's on um, it's on Netflix. Amanda Knox. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's really great. Because it applies to other things. It's not just about you. Like I think about this with Britney right now, mm-hmm. and like Britney was under a lot of pressure and shaved her head, and yep. suddenly by doing that act, she loses everything because she's a woman acting strangely by society. You did not <laughs> shave your head. You were shook <laughs> in this situation, but you were still railroaded. So I think about that. But the person in that documentary, most in need of me punching them in the face was the journalist uh, Pisa. Yes. My family likes to call him Nick Pisa shit. Oh, that's good. (laughs) I called him the Leaning Tower of Bullshit. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say he's the Leaning Tower of Pisa shit. So we're like, all right. (laughs) And I watched this with every like journal like journalist and this and this and this like attack where they yeah. just don't take responsibility for it mm-hmm. can't, can't like i it, it drives me crazy it, it's him it's who's that smug guy who took over for um I, i've gotten in so many fights with him on twitter um the smug english guy who took over for larry king um, oh pierce brock here's more yeah pierce morgan oh man he loves me oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. he, I mean, he, he has clearly a big affection for women that didn't do anything. To him. Yeah. The guy, the, that Daily Mail guy, I, I like in the documentary and who made the documentary? I should have wrote that down. Yeah. So um, Brian McGinn and Rod Blackhurst are the filmmakers. Um, I think this, uh, the producer was Stephen Morse. Yes. Um, all of them young guys uh, who came out of nowhere and and follow the case even when I was still on trial. And yeah. I think they did a really good job. Like I definitely entrusted myself into their hands cause it's not like my film, I didn't make it. Yeah. Um, but I think that the thing that really made a difference for me when I was working with them, as opposed to like the various interviews that I've done yeah. since coming home was they didn't just ask me like, what happened and then what did you do? And then yeah, what did yeah. you do? Like they asked me what I thought about what happened. Like, yeah. how are you processing this experience and what does it mean to you? Yeah. And kind of goes back to what you were mentioning about like this, 
feeling that we all have in society and this um, of not being able to admit we're wrong, of immediately making snap judgments about people, about not allowing people to like change or not being willing to change your position. Like these are all problems that this case speaks to, but which are broader problems in society. And it's one of the things that's like led me to get into journalism now in the first place because of people like Nick Pisa who exist in a sort of echo chamber uh, of, of commercialized slander and, and scandal mongering. Um, And that's, that's what journalism has been reduced to like, come on. And I almost feel bad for him because he's rewarded for doing this. And so he doesn't even realize, or maybe he does, um, that he's doing his work and getting his kicks at the expense of real people. Um, I don't know. Well, there's a thing like in journalism and we're libel laws that you have to follow where you can't just say, I couldn't lead my newscast by going overnight. My aunt totally said that this guy robbed that house. Like I have to say like authorities, here's the proof. Here's the, the actual hard evidence that somebody did something. The guy, the daily mail guy was like, I thought the the documentary filmmakers had your back so much because I love the way that they showed him saying how great it felt for him to see his name attached to the biggest story in the world. They let let him hang himself. They let him do it and they let that bit hang. And I was like, uh, I'm going to give that a standing ovation. Good, because he, he just came across, they made him look like the biggest piece of shit that he is for just being happy and, and not following like I used to hate, I hated when I would have to write a story and say first reported by TMZ. Do you know mm-hmm. like how devastating that was for somebody with a uh, journalism degree to go like, oh God, this hurts. Yeah. But that's how many people now like would rather just hear a Daily Mail bullshit thing versus the truth. I, I have a question about that. While in prison, did you have access to this shit? Like were you- so I had very limited access. Um, I did not have access to what was happening in the British or the um, American news media. I had access to what was happening in Italy and it was not much better um, than yeah. what was what Nick and like to to also sort of defend Nick Pisa. He was not the only person who was doing that work. Um, And you're a much better person than me. I'm like, (laughs) I hate him more than you do. I'm more. Yeah. But you're right. He he was the one who agreed to be on the documentary. I mean, there's a ton of people slinging bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, one interesting fact about the documentary, um, which I think is a really, the reason why they did such a good job. And I actually, a note that I've taken for my own, um, journalism work now is everyone who was interviewed for that documentary had a chance to see it before it came out and everyone approved of the way that they were portrayed which goes to say that like what Nick Pisa was describing about his experience reporting on this case he that was his true experience of it which is all the more terrifying because if they were going out of their way to like make him look like a scance or a skew or whatever in ways that were not how he intended to come across like that would have been I would have been uncomfortable with that but the fact that they let him breathe basically and say hey what do you really think about your job (laughs) and like you know what feels good about this and and 
like that actually made it all the more scary because he thought he was doing the right thing. You know? Yeah. Figure out a way you get into these bubbles and it becomes noble. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, because, you know, at a certain point, you know, even, you know, you see this amongst like criminal defense lawyers and it's like, you know, the, you know, you'll hear lawyers talking about what a masterful job so-and-so did, um, defending Derek Chauvin. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we saw him murder him. Now I'm not saying yeah. he's entitled to a defense, but like right. what, what, what gymnastics are you doing in your head to justify certain jobs you do? And particularly in tabloid press, I am, you know, I, we, you know, both of us have friends who've been like, um, you know, uh, in the spotlight who've been like, mm. you know, it's crazy. They just forget their people. They forget, yeah. they, they yeah. think, oh, you have everything and this won't hurt you. Did, yeah, did anyone Amanda content. ever? Yeah. Did anyone Amanda ever like come circle back to you and apologize? Did you ever have a person tell you that they were wrong? That was part of that they were part of the reason that you, or even anybody in Meredith's family? Um, no. Um, oh, so no, no one who was actually in responsible in any way. Interestingly enough, um, people who had sort of casually absorbed the case and just made judgments about me um, as consumers of media um, have reached out to me to apologize. And of course it's like, of all the people in the world who have apologized to me, it's like the people who have done the least amount of harm and who are the most innocent in the sense that like, also they were exposed to a lie and they didn't know any better. So I've had people come up to me in tears like crying and telling me like, I'm so sorry I treated you like entertainment. Um, And that has meant a a lot to me. Um, It would mean a lot to have (laughs) the other people acknowledge that they they played a role and that it wasn't just my fault. Um, But you know what, that's a super common problem in wrongful convictions. anyway it's it's very very common for there to be no apology it's very common for there for the um the initial victim's family to to not be receptive to the idea of their innocence so it's it's unfortunately quite common and something that i share with a lot of people in the innocence community yeah two 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 questions sort of about that uh, about when you're there so you're like three years into this thing let's put like you've now been away for three years do you believe while you're sitting there that you are going to be you are going to get out and be exonerated or did you have did you have dark nights and did you lose all hope I mean I don't know I don't know what I would have done so I'm wondering yeah yeah um so I the the second that I was convicted that I heard guilty Mm -hmm. um I went through an existential crisis. The world collapsed underneath me. I realized that the truth didn't matter. Yeah. And I didn't have anything to hope, like to hang my hope on anymore. So I went back to my jail cell thinking I'm never getting out of here. And I need to now imagine the life that I can live in this place and whether or not it's worth living. Um, I had a lot of very, very serious thinking about what my life could look like and whether or not I felt like it was, it was worth it. Um, and yeah, I I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. Um, and 
it's funny, even while I was going through my um, appeals and the appeals were going really well, um, you know, there was, I was, there were independent experts who were coming back saying like the, the prosecution's uh, forensics team is full of crap and like all of it was going really, really well, like leading up to hearing the word you're acquitted and you're released from prison. Like I was shaking. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I had no hope or faith in anything. So um, I, and it's, it was hard and it would actually led to some conflict between me and my family members because my mom, my poor mom, and of course, like my mom's experience of this whole thing, and my family's experience of this whole thing. It's not just a thing that happened to me. It happened to everyone. Like my mom had to like, had to hold on to the idea that it was going to be okay. Somehow she didn't care how long it was going to take. There was going to be a light at the end of that tunnel. And I stopped believing in that. And Mm. it was a really difficult conversation to have with her where like, she would just basically say, just, we got to keep holding on and keep waiting. And I was like, I'm not going to keep waiting for a life that I can't count on. Yeah. So I need to try to make this life worth living. And that was really hard. It's so hard to imagine how to make a life like that worth living. So it was, it was something that I often felt like I had to figure out on my own because my mom kept wanting to just hold on to you're getting out, you're getting out, you're getting out. Anyway. Yeah. It's that's a, I mean, that's a tough thing. Did, did you ever have like, while you were in prison, did you have a cellmate or were you in a cell by yourself? Yeah, I had cellmates the whole time. Um, so it, and there were various, I had different cells throughout the, the time uh-huh. that I was there. Sometimes I had as many as five cellmates. Other times I just had one cellmate and a smaller cell. Um, I never was in, um, I mean, I was in, I was technically in isolation for the first eight months, but I wasn't in solitary confinement. Okay. My, um, my your, actual your boyfriend was right. Yes, he was. He was in solitary confinement for eight months. Um, Why? What's the reasoning for that? Well, they said to for his protection. <laughs> right. That's usually because he's a. It's a high profile. It's a high person. profile case. Other um, inmates one that involves sexual assault. So it was you know yeah. he was a target potentially. Um, so he was spent a much longer time in isolate or in solitary, and I was in isolation, which is this middle ground where I had a cellmate, but I was forbidden from taking part in any of the common activities. I was just supposed to stay in my cell and I couldn't talk to anyone. Did you make Were there sense? any physical altercations with anyone? Did anyone ever try to? So there were always, it, it was always like you're on the brink of something happening just because yeah. everyone that I encountered in the prison environment was struggling with with some with something like most yeah. of these women were dealing with years of neglect or abuse or or addiction or yeah. whatever it may be like they were troubled women and um they didn't always have the best you know impulse control and i I very much tried to be as small and invisible as possible my entire time that I was in prison, but that didn't mean that like, especially in the beginning when I couldn't speak Italian very well, there were lots of misunderstandings and miscommunications and like 
goodness forbid that I accidentally like threw away someone's like tobacco leaves that they had like wrapped up in a, in a piece of paper and just sort of stuck by their bed. Like then it was like, oh my God, am I going to have my head flushed in the toilet kind of thing? Wow. But um, learned right away, scuse. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> But you never actually did. Like nobody ever. No, really I never got into fights with anyone. Um, I did mean, anyone I ever definitely... try to fight you? So again, like people yelled at me, people threatened me. Um, someone attacked. I was next to. I was like taking a walk with one of my cellmates, and one person jumped and attacked my cellmate. And um, while I was just kind of next to her, mm -hmm. um, but I never was attacked personally by anyone nice. i i was sexually harassed by guards but like that's different like that's a different male guards from male guards yeah jesus christ yeah so you were like, never were you never touched but you were harassed like they verbally um so one guy grabbed good. me in the bathroom once but like oh, it, i wasn't naked or anything he just like grabbed me around the waist and i had to like squirm away um and then there's no way you could go like, oh my God, you're not going to believe what this guy did. No, <laughs> I did no not one's say believing. anything. Yeah, yeah, no one's believing you. You have to just. Yeah. Check. And like, I, it was just better. Again, it was better to be invisible and to be wow, as small man. as possible. So did you, did you make friends? That's another question. Like, are there people you're still in touch with from those four years? Or was it just, I'm curious. That's because it's mm -hmm. like, obviously from a different world, yeah. I think a lot of the women who were in there. So. Yeah. So um, I made friends with, plenty of the people that were in there. I've stayed in touch with um, one woman who is actually the only other American woman who was in the prison um, with me. She was my cellmate for a while, um, much, much older than me um, in her late fifties now. Um, and yeah, Danny, Danny's going to take offense to much. Oh, older sorry. Than <laughs> <laughs> I'm only 57. I, I, late 50s is 59, right? I yeah. still have another two years. People, people yeah. Danny is going to get upset because you said much, much older. Well, get off my lawn. And then <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're in touch. And like she comes and hangs out with my family on holidays and things like that to this day. Um, but then, of course, I've stayed in touch with um, the one person who was who genuinely became my friend. And it's funny because I'm like, an atheist but um the priest in the prison actually became a very good friend of mine we connected really? on um yeah he's just like this like sweet uh like cries at every movie even <laughs> if it's just like you know kung oh. fu panda <laughs> kind of guy <laughs> um and he like um often had me come to his office um for confession but like we would just play guitar together it was really nice. i grew up in new jersey and i had a lot of italian catholic friends and all my girlfriends were and so, like i knew priests i never was raised jewish but so i only went to at the churches but mm. I, yeah priests, I, I knew a lot of those uh uh people who became priests and in that world and yes a lot of them who were were really kind souls so yeah um, yeah well, while place. you were while you were there, like, were you able to like watch shows? Did you like? I'm gonna say this so we can also segue into like what the things that we've been watching. But was there stuff like? How did you keep a sense of like? Did you get to watch comedy? Did, is there something like what gave you like a level of happiness while you're there? I mean, you, I, I'd imagine you have to grasp for straws to try to find your happy place. And yeah, time so. Um, show wise, that was a little hard because, um, 
again, trying to be an invisible small person, mm-hmm. I did not control the television in um, in our cell. So there the were family. They watch a lot of modern family, right? Modern yeah, family. Danny. Right. <laughs> we were there during it. I just I assume that the Italians love the modern family, right? Danny, um, do you want to work in that you have Starbucks. your Emmys for Modern Family? Go ahead and say it. I know you want. To. <laughs> so go on. Um, yeah, so it was just a bunch of like, I spent a lot of time with my head in books, Uh um, honestly. Um, so one of the books that I really, really latched onto was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like the ultimate, Uh, just because it was like a giant book that I could just immerse myself in. It was funny. I needed something funny. And I will say that the one show that I saw in prison that I was able to watch because it was on really late at night after everyone had taken their meds and were passed out. <laughs> so I would have it on really, really quietly was Flight of the Concords. It's my favorite. Of all things, of all things. And like Flight of the Concords is one of my favorite, favorite shows. And I first saw it in prison. Okay, well, I, I, I'm- Oh, I'm, Amanda, I'm we talk about Jermaine so much. I'm Twitter friends with Jermaine. I'm going to make sure he sees this. So he knows <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm also Twitter friends with Jermaine. Oh, you or, are? At the, oh, great. or at the very least, I have sent him a somewhat uh, like creepy, like, <laughs> I love you message. Um, very much. You're the one mind. I sent. I promise. I promise. Oh, he doesn't follow me, so it's fine. Y'all have fun. Y'all are friends with him, and I'm. Oh, so you sent him like how much you love. Yeah, he's great. No, I haven't because he didn't follow me. Oh, you that. Yeah, but a man. Yeah. Oh, that's. <laughs> Did he respond though? Was he was he like Yeah, no? yeah, he was very nice. He was very sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so that's so great. I have one last question before we tag in because you're so fascinating. In the documentary, there's a second trial, and you're here. Obviously, you're out, but there's like some weird like appeal trial or something that's mm-hmm. going on that you obviously win. Um, and you're the, the 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 guy you were dating wins, and it's all it, that's all good. If you had lost. Mm-hmm. What would have happened? Yeah. So first of all, I did lose yeah. the first time around. Um, while so you were here? I was, yeah, while I was here. So I yeah, was acquitted. You lost because I remember going, yeah, she's going to head back. Like, no, there's no fucking way. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I think my words were uh, kicking and screaming. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the people made a heyday out of that. And it was like, come on, what would you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fight this is what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> but, like yeah, um, four years. I'm going to be me now. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so in Italy, they don't do double jeopardy the same way that they do here. Um, so uh, prosecutors can also appeal acquittals and, uh, they appealed my acquittal. Um, it was sent back for retrial. I was convicted again, Mm -hmm. and then it was sent to the Italian Supreme court and they overturned it and definitively acquitted me. So that is the sort of back and forth kangaroo court situation that I dealt with. And I will say that during that time period, I lived in limbo. Like I could, I, I went back to school, but I was, you know, like, okay, am I going to get my degree and go back to prison? Like, can I make friends? Like I can't do anything. But but but, our government have extradited you. That's that's my question. You would not have gotten extradited. No. Right. Well, so we have an extradition treaty with Italy. I don't feel like we would have sent you back. I don't like. Well, I, I can't say what would have happened, but I can tell you is what I was preparing 
to have happen. And what I was preparing for was to turn myself in to local authorities um, to hopefully try to, if they were going to, you know, impose a sentence on me, I was going to fight to at the very least request that I serve my sentence in the United States so that it was an easier burden on my family. Um, These were all things that like I was thinking about while also taking classes at the, at the university of Washington. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, uh, <laughs> well, before we get into our recommendations, I do want to ask, what have you been up to since? Because you've talked about you're working on the Innocence Project and your podcast. Tell me what mm-hmm. you're working on now. Yeah, so we can- yeah, so I, I do a number of things and I don't technically work for the Innocence Project. Like, like many other exonerees, I'm often asked to speak for the Innocence Project in order to like spread the word or raise awareness or, you know, even fundraise. Mm-hmm. And so I'm happy. I'm always happy to do that. Um, and in fact, I'm actually, I don't know if you guys know, but there's an exoneree band um, and I'm part of the exoneree band. Wait, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, if you guys don't know about the exoneree band. I like... saw that at Coachella. Um, uh, the town <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I have my guitar here. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, they brought me on because like I'm I'm decent at karaoke and I'm a and I'm a girl. <laughs> and it was it was it's mostly guys in the exoneree community, but they were like, Amanda, you can sing. Get on this, get on this band. Um, so we actually are gonna be doing a gig in October. Um oh, where, wait, where at? Um in Illinois. <laughs> in Illinois. What's the name of the band? It's called the Exoneree Band. <laughs> I'll send you a link if you want. You holy shit! Uh, oh, Danny, uh, we gotta go to. This. I am the least musical person on this band, by the way. There oh. are some epically musical people on this band, so I highly recommend it. Who else is in it? Is it anyone else that we would? Um, I don't think you would know them. Raymond Towler, Antoine Day, um, Ted Bradford, they're all exonerees. Um, What was Antoine's case? His name sounds familiar. um, Antoine Day was in prison for, God, was it 10 years that he was in? Um, and I forget what he was charged with. I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So you don't have, I mean, in a weird way though, it's like, I was when I was watching the case, the reason that the documentary, what I thought so clearly was like first the nightmare that you went through, which is all too common in African American community right now. Like the things of that that existential, you know, it doesn't matter, and you're mm-hmm. like, in, and yeah. you're just like you're copping to something because you don't want this investigation to end, and you're like some mm-hmm. young kid up the street who doesn't know better, and then you're doing twenty years for something you never did, yeah. and you're like, it was an int- I mean, I hope it illuminated certain people who's like, you know, people who may not look like, but can you can you at least empathize with what this whole Black Lives Matter thing and mm-hmm. this, this, this that system of justice in this country. Yeah, because you really you were you experienced that, and you know, not in a and you it's not in, it's in a different way, but certainly the facts didn't matter. Well mm-hmm. noted, and a lot of what happened was based on how you looked and personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, are you guys are based in California, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll have to send you a link to the um, one of the episodes of um, Labyrinths where I interview Obi Anthony, who is one of my dear exoneree friends but he's based in california and he's been doing incredible work there um he's got this whole thing called obi's law where they passed a law giving um 
exonerees like actual resources when they get out because one of those like other parts of that story is okay you're wrongfully convicted you spend 10 years in prison yeah and then you're you get out and they're like okay good luck here's your garbage bag full of your stuff like west memphis three i remember like seeing damien eccles getting out of prison and he's walking down you know fifth avenue holding an iphone and looking like he's yep. just seeing you know a building for the first time and you're yeah. like, wow nobody talks about like yeah the after the afterwards the now what is a big issue. night terrors and sleeping and mm -hmm. like the when i got a twitter thing with um with trump which was like it was before anybody thought he'd ever be president but when i we got into this like massive twitter one of the most um and i was just slamming and i kept bringing him up uh all of his things i was reached out to by two of the central park five and it was so moved because I brought them up as a slam against mm. them. I'm like, and it was before the movie and they were very like, they wrote, what they wrote to me, like it's still, I saved it. It makes me cry because it's like, it's like really, it's, it sucks. So anyway, I yeah. thank, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Now to the most trivial part of our podcast, given all we've been talking about, now that you're out and free and probably have streaming services, um, uh, what are you watching? That you like. Um, so I have been watching The Office recently. Um, <laughs> so like, so basically this is my like viewing life is like, I spend so much time in my podcast labyrinths doing like really serious, like, you know, like yeah. deep, difficult, complicated issues and stories and like painful experiences, because those are the things that people reach out to me to talk to. And yeah. then at the end of the day, I just need to listen to Weird Al and yeah. like watch the office. <laughs> and that's like, that's the cycle I'm in is like every day, like deep dives into like complicated issues, labyrinths, yeah. blah, 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 and then Weird Al. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Weird Al was on this podcast before. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay, well, tell, if you I'm can totally convince telling. him to come on Labyrinths, I, I will. would be so thrilled. Because I'm totally gonna email Weird Al. <laughs> yeah, we'll both email for you. Um, yeah. I'll oh just like God. sing his songs at him. <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> and by the way, he is the nicest person too. Like, there's nothing about him that will disappoint you. Like, right? No, he's he's nicer than I could ever dream of being. He is the um, sweetest, the sweetest person ever. I, but I understand. Like when I'm like working during the day and I'm just writing, I have to have something on in the background. Recently, I've just been having like Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Classic. I, I, I didn't watch it like when it first aired. Now I'm like super giddy because it's like the last season's coming up. But Danny, I will tell you that have you seen or both White Lotus on HBO? I've just no. watched the first one, Mike White. And this and it's, it's shot at the place where I wrote How He Goes About. It's shot yes. at the seasons, which yes. is like I just wrote that guy. I, the first episode, I, I have the second episode uh, like uh, queued up. Yeah. I love it. Did you see episode two? Is it still good? I saw episode two. I'm still not sure what it's about, but I'm invested. <laughs> like, like, um, uh, it's like a Downton Abbey um, situation. It's, it's the weirdest creepy. Okay. You know, is um, it a Jen comedy? It's a, it's like a dark comedy. You know who Jennifer okay. Coolidge is from Stifler's mom in American Pie? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. So she's in it and she plays just that perfect Jennifer Coolidge 
character. And then you have Steve Zahn and Connie Britton are married and then they have kids and then it's like, okay, there's these people are staying at this resort, but it's like something's going to happen. No, right off the bat, somebody died at the resort. They tell you that from the very beginning and then you go back. So we don't know who it is. But it really is about like 1% privilege at this insane resort and the people who are serving their needs and like what's going mm, on. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's so far very well observed. Yeah. And it's okay. also just like when you're watching it because it's set at this Four Seasons in Maui, it's beautiful. Like Every it's time. just like watching it at night, I'm like, oh God, look, look at that sunset. It's just so nice to look at this. It's like <laughs> aesthetically pleasing and it's very, it's fun. What about uh, you, Danny? What do you got? Two music documentary recommendations. All right. I have been very. So number one, was um, uh, um, Summer of Soul, which is on, I don't know if it's on HBO Max or um, Netflix, but it is, um, uh, Questlove made this documentary. And it's about a music festival we never heard of that hmm. was buried that we should have. It was in, same, it was the, when 69. 69. But, um, and it was a Harlem cultural music festival. And uh-huh. they found all of this footage of it and all the people who were there. And it was like, it's Gladys Knight, it's Sly and the wow. Family Stone. It's the fifth dimension, Mahalia Jackson. And these performances, wow. Stevie Wonder, it, the thing that blew me away, Stevie Wonder gets up there and before anything, it just starts playing drums, which I did not know he did. And just- I did not know that. <laughs> drumming on one of his songs. I mean, and what it meant to this little community up in Harlem, it was this, and no one covered it. And wow. it was like, and it, it's, it was, it's so beautiful. Summer of Soul. Summer so of Soul. one is Edgar Wright's documentary uh, called The Sparks Brothers. Now Sparks was a band that was like from my era in the eighties, but I did not pay that close attention to them. They were like, they had a couple songs I knew of in the eighties. I had no idea that they had been around from the early seventies and are still making music. And the, the, the culture and the people who come out to talk about them flee from uh, oh, chili yeah, yeah. peppers. Um, it's just all of these people get together and are talking about like how weird and wild and interesting and innovative Sparks was. And I've been listening to Sparks since I've been there. Really well-made documentary. Sparks all right. Made. Thank you. We'll listen to those for sure. Okay, so Amanda, your podcast with you and your husband, Christopher. Yeah, it's called Labyrinth. Labyrinth. And after the movie? Um, A little bit after the movie, a little bit after Jorge Luis Borges, if you're a nerd like that. (laughs) That is, I did not expect you to say that. (laughs) um, But yeah, so it's just like, basically the, the tagline is getting lost with Amanda Knox. And it's like all the times that you ever feel like you are overwhelmed overwhelmed and and lost in your own life and like how do you find your way out again and like those are that that kind of experience is something that I understand really really deeply Uh, really (laughs) how so but like you just brought this up like the number of people who reach out to me um and even just like I don't know if you've been keeping up with the latest episodes but like so I, I write about or I'm talking about infertility issues yes and I, like one and of, i apologize i'm so sad about oh, your loss no thank you um i mean we're moving through it and moving beyond yeah. it but like 
I've, I've been shocked by the kinds of stories that people have been sharing with me and how much, how close it feels to being wrongly convicted because like it comes at you out of nowhere. Like you you think your life is going one way, you're going to have kids. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly you can't, and you have this existential crisis and you don't know why, and you blame yourself. And like, you feel like you're just trapped in this long journey where you don't know, like at any point if it's going to be okay. And there are no guarantees. And so many people are going through that right now and no one talks about it. My, so I exit. I, I mean, we, it was recently separated, but um, we went through it for years. I mean, yeah. it, was, it, 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 you know, it was like, it was, it was amazing because it really, and also really affected our marriage. I think yeah. for a long time. And they don't talk about that. We actually went to a support group. And, yeah. And it was super helpful. Um, and like, uh, I mean, we, we were fortunate that, you know, in vitro eventually like third, try work but, but like that's a, like a journey oh my god holy third shit. time like it, yeah because that's a lot of injecting somebody yeah. with yep. big ass needles yep yeah um and uh and, and uh, trying to suck out eggs and trying to get yeah. them for oh my god. a science oh. project and then, you know, and then, I, then i got my twin daughters and frankly they're kind of duds <laughs> uh, you know it wasn't really worth it <laughs> they're, they're, they're lovely um, you uh, have to say that but you know how you I'll have to <laughs> um, oh we'll definitely be checking that out and honestly it's it's really like you're very inspiring it's such an honor to talk to you Truly. yeah oh, thank you so much well yeah, yeah. and i really you know, like when i i saw like we were following each other and i was like you know i want i really wanted to talk to you but i also just wanted you to come on like a comedy podcast because i feel like there's just a cloud over you of what people think of you. Like oh, totally. no one could ever think you would have a sense of humor or laugh at anything. Like you're or, just- or like I, condemn me for having a sense of humor. Right. Like, I can't tell you the number of times I've made jokes on Inst- or on Twitter and people are like, you know who can't joke anymore? Oh, <laughs> I know. Like, you're like, who made who was murdered by someone not, <laughs> that was not That me. wasn't me, I didn't yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> like people are murdered every day and you're still laughing and you're yeah. laughing and you're uh. laughing. Like, I, I just wanted you to come because I know like there's, you're a human being and you, I, there's not an ounce of me that ever would think that you were guilty. I mean, I, I've read enough about it. I've saw the documentary and, and I know there's people in this world that probably disagree with me. And I know, you know, that the people will yes. just hear your name having read nothing. And I know that that's bothersome and you have to like shake that off. But I think, I'm so happy that you came here today because I think it's really beneficial just to show like, hey, you're a human being just trying to navigate life like the rest of it. You're, yeah, you know, well, you want to be a mom. Let's do history together. I think that oh, would, yeah. be, oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> you should be Amanda in the joint history. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can do a pretty good solid Italian accent, I think. All right. And so, but people can find you on social media, you have mm-hmm. website. Yeah, on Twitter you know. at Amanda Knox, on Instagram at Amama Knox. And then of course, always check out Labyrinths. That's, that's where I'm at. We're going to do Absolutely, it. Thank yeah. you so much. And doing it nation, you're welcome.